Thank you, Dr. Cox. The words that were familiar to many of us there on the screen uh, bring us well to the thoughts we want to consider from God's Word this morning as we return to this new study on the subject of grace. Uh, for those who were here last Sunday night, I mentioned this is different uh, on a number of fronts. It's different in that it's topical. Uh, we're used to going kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a book, and we will get back to that soon. Uh, but we're going to uh, spend a few weeks here looking at the subject of grace uh, in Scripture. So a little different. It's also different because we're at least for last Sunday, this morning, and tonight, we are using PowerPoint. After that, we're done. Okay. Um, Pastor Gingery during mentioned we are planning to use the Bible this morning. In case you had any question about that, you can. In fact, you can take your Bible and turn to the Book of Romans this morning. Uh, encourage you to kind of keep turning as we go, because we're going to be in a lot of different passages, and really that's the reason why we are using the uh, PowerPoint this morning. Just There's more scripture that touches the thoughts we're looking at than we can possibly cover, and so they're going to be on the slides, and if you want to jot them down, I think that certainly could be a help to you as well. Debate if it's uh, worth bringing up, because for some it might be like, those are memories I've tried to forget. But... It was almost three years ago that my kids were doing school at home, along with lots of other kids doing school at home. And there was a particular day that came to mind uh, this last week, because I was working at home as well, and um, it was a little bit of chaos. Uh, I don't remember um, the way my wife calls it, but she's like, it wasn't really homeschooling. It was like just craziness because you had teachers teaching online, and so we're setting up Zoom and Teams and watching videos and submitting assignments and trying to get all different kinds of things done. Uh, so we had kids in the dining room and in the study and in the kitchen, and when I was home, I was in the guest room. And at any given point, there were like four or five computers running in the house trying to get stuff done. And uh, I hear this call down the hallway at one point, the internet's not working. And uh, that was coming from one of my kids in the study. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm not exactly sure what it is this time, but restart your computer. Like, that's the answer for all computer problems, right? Step one, uh, restart your computer, maybe check for updates to see if there's something there. And uh, I begin to realize, no, it's not just that one's computer that isn't working, that the internet's not working. It's not working for me. It's not working for anybody else in the house. And so I'm like, well, I, I got a problem I got to go solve because, like, you know, their teacher's like, where did they go? They're gone. And uh, so I go downstairs to the Verizon box, and I'm like, I, maybe I just got to restart the Verizon box, the ONT, right? We're going to power cycle this thing and, and see what happens. And some of you may have realized, oh, you missed a step. I did. Uh, so I, you know, power cycle the ONT, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and it finally comes back up. It's lit up. It, it looks like everything's right. And I'm like, what is the problem? And so I go back upstairs. I'm like, God, oh, that's the router. I got I to gotta check the router. And I'm looking, I'm like, the router's not lit up. It's, it's plugged in. It, this thing should be working, but the router's not lit up. Well, what had happened, took me a little bit to figure out, is someone happened to put their foot on the surge protector. And that little rocker switch right there went from on to off. Right? And without that switch being on, there's no power going on. There's nothing happening. And you know, again, it kind of makes me laugh as to how it transpired that day because uh, one of them caught it right away. I caught it 
pretty quickly, but it kind of just trickled through. If you can bear with me and try to make the connection here, I think in many ways there are Christians who are trying to function in their Christian life, who are trying to get their work done, who are trying to live the way that God wants them to live, and they're doing it without being connected to any kind of power. They don't realize the Internet's off. Or if we say it in light of the theme that we're looking at from Scripture, they don't realize that they've moved away from grace. They're going, you know what, i, I got to do these things, i, I got to get these things done, and they're not going, and God, I need your help, because if you don't empower, I have nothing. In fact, on the other hand, it's like, actually, no, I, I think I can do this. I'm going to do this today. And they set out in an endeavor of self-effort, not realizing there's no power present without seeing their need. I mean, when we come to Christ in salvation, it's like, God, I need your help. I cannot save myself. I am a sinner in need of your work. And so, God, I'm depending on you to save me. Now, I suppose there's a, another example we could think about at the same time that maybe there's someone out there, I don't know, who's like, yeah, you know what, I got really good internet at home. Like, well, what do you use it for? Eh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, occasionally I check my email. Like, but I got, I got really good internet. Like, kind of what's the point? And in our study, as we've introduced this uh, topic of grace, we've tried to look at it two ways, that grace is both received and grace is lived. God gives us incredible grace through Jesus Christ and in so many ways in life, but it is not simply for us to stand back and admire and go, that's great, although we should. It is also to transform the way that I live. It is abundant grace in action. You know, a foundational good step is to go that abundant grace leads me to worship. But it also does so much more along the way. We spent some time last week, I'm not going to belabor review uh, this morning. You can go back and watch last week's video if you want. Uh, but to say, what is grace? And took some definitions from, you know, we often think of, uh, well, this is God's divine favor, unearned, unmerited favor, where God says, here's just kindness to you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But because of who I am in my goodness, here is my favor upon you. That should cause us to marvel. We should appreciate that. It's also his divine enablement to go and let me help you. Let me give you what you need. It is God meeting us with his abundant resources in all that he is. It is God meeting us in our need in order to lovingly and abundantly supply. To go, here is all that you need in my grace. We're going to spend time in the upcoming weeks kind of going to a passage and just parking in that passage and not going from passage to passage to passage to passage to passage. However, one of the things that stood out to me as I started into just look at what God's Word says about grace is the number of times that at the beginning of letters and sometimes at the end of letters, the writer of Scripture inspired by the Spirit of God says, grace to you. Sometimes it's grace and peace, and sometimes it's grace and mercy, and sometimes it's grace and mercy and peace. 
But the overarching theme, time and time and time again, is grace to you. And as I mentioned last Sunday night, I, I fear that sometimes we read those introductory words, and it's kind of like when we came into church this morning, and someone's like, hey, how are you? Well, oh, good. And we're kind of on. We're like, it's just a greeting. It's just an opening salutation. And yet, my view of inspiration, our understanding of the scriptures, are used for more than that. In fact, it's a unique word that's used. There's, there was a word that was used in that culture to express a similar thought. It even looks similar. But the word that is often used, particularly by the Apostle Paul, is a different word altogether. To say, here is grace, God's favor to you. And so foundational, I just want to remind us this morning, very briefly, this first thought, this is review, uh, that you have grace through a relationship with God. If we miss this, I, I, like, this is my big fear, particularly for tonight, but if we miss this kind of thought, and we're like, so what do I need to do because I got grace? We're in trouble. Like, the power's been unplugged, and we're not functioning correctly. We best function as believers when it, we are humbled and in awe that God has given us something we don't deserve and said, here is relationship with me. And at the outset of these letters that instruct believers, that command believers, that rebuke believers, that encourage believers, over and over, the opening greeting that does wish grace upon them is done so in the context of relationship with God. So you go to all the different references that are there, and he says, grace to you from God the Father. And the, many of the times, it's not just the Father. In fact, the majority of times, all but three, he says, grace to you from God our Father. God has shown grace to you in relating to you as one who cares, who protects, who provides, who instructs, who cares about you as your father. Secondly, we have grace through a relationship with God as our Savior. Because the other theme, and again, if you were just to compare the quantity of references, you would catch that this is an even more predominant theme, is that you have grace through Jesus Christ. In fact, this theme often shows up at the beginning of a letter and the end of the letter to remind you, you've been rescued, you've been saved, through Jesus Christ. That is grace to you. That grace doesn't just operate at the moment of salvation, like, whew, man, my eternity is set, I'm, I'm rescued, I'm saved. That's true. That's worth rejoicing in. But God's grace to us as our Savior works now to rescue us from sin presently. When you find yourself battling temptation, when you find yourself battling discouragement to go, God, I need deliverance, I need help, I need a Savior, He gives grace to you through Jesus Christ. And then third, this is one that has stood out to me much, is that in our relationship to God, in these, just these opening and closing instructions of the New Testament letters, that grace comes through a relationship with Jesus as our Master, our Lord. In fact, in the text, they're kind of bolded and underlined. I, I did tell the people last Sunday night, like, I'm going to put small text up there and encourage you to sit closer to the front. Okay? At points in those verses, it specifically says, Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Lord, our Lord. In other words, the one who owns you, the one who gets to dictate life for you, and what ought to catch us about this, 
is it's so far removed from typical human experience. Your master, your authority, your owner, saying, let me give you what you don't deserve. Let me give you favor. Let me show you kindness. Let me help you in your time of need. Let me give you grace over and over and over again. This highlights all the more how amazing it is what God has done for us in grace through a relationship with Him. He is our Father. He is our Savior. He is our Master. And we're just looking at these words that sometimes we run past at the beginning of letters, and really we could add so many more qualities to this relationship. But I want to move to a second thought that we introduced last week and are going to dive into this morning and then again this evening, and that is grace in the realities of life. Grace in the realities of life. Because what stood out to me in just studying these different verses, initially trying to wrap my mind around how are we going to approach this theme in the New Testament, is that over and over and over again, these New Testament letters, these epistles that we glean so much from, like they have impacted how you work. They have impacted what we do this morning and function as a church. They have impacted how your marriage is to work. They have impacted your parenting. They have impacted your words. Like, we could keep going and going and going, right? We run to the New Testament epistles for so much instruction, how to think and how to live. But over and over and over again, they begin with, here's grace, and they end with, here's grace. I believe I actually misspoke last Sunday night. I'm going to go back and check. I didn't do that. But I think I said 17. It's actually 16. So maybe that lessens the thought in your mind. I don't know. But 16. Of your 27 books in the New Testament, begin and end with grace. An expression that says, as I instruct you, as I give you this information, there's grace that is desired upon you at the outset, and there is an expression of grace as we depart. I want God's favor. I want God's enablement upon you. I mean, you break that down further, again, four of those books are Gospels. One of them is narrative in the book of Acts. So five of the 27, uh, we'll say, are more historical in nature. And then of the 22 books that remain, 16 of them start and end going, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you. Like, it would be a really good thought for us to wake up tomorrow morning and go, God, I need your grace. To end tomorrow and go, God, I need your grace. And really, all throughout, to say, in the realities of life, God, I need your favor, and I need your enablement, because without you, it's like the electricity's unplugged. It's like, I don't have what I need. So I want to spend some time just briefly surveying those books, those 16, real quick, right? Like, man, we're usually doing like a verse, okay? We'll take this morning and this evening, but I want to just remind you of what grace does, but as we look at kind of the theme of the book and how grace meets that, don't forget to stay plugged in. Don't forget to realize, actually, this is me just saying, God, I need you to do this in me. And God, I, I need your favor and your help. And I'm not denying my personal responsibility. But God, I don't want to make it all about me. Number one, when we come to the book of Romans where I had you turn a moment ago, understand that grace changes everything. The opening words in Romans 1 verse 7 are there to all that be in Rome, 
beloved of God, called to be saints or holy ones, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We just studied the book of Romans in adult Bible study during the Sunday school hour and saw over and over how here's how the gospel works. Here's how the gospel is that power of God unto salvation and how it just transforms your identity as well as your activities. Can I remind you how grace changes everything? And again, I'm going to presume a little bit on knowledge, but you can look at the verses as I run through them very quickly. Romans starts by saying, here's what you were. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, you knew God, but you glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. In fact, in verse 22, you professed to be wise. Like, no, I, I know this better, but in reality, we became fools. And so we're told initially because of what we were, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, God gave us over. He said, you want your way? I'll let you have your way. And we yield the results of judgment of sin instead. Verse 29 tells us we were filled with unrighteousness as a result. Verse 32 says, we knew the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This is not a good course. Here's what you were. Not glorifying God, not thankful for Him, thinking you've got it right, living in unrighteousness and happy to be there. So that chapter 2 and chapter 3 tells us it doesn't matter if you're religious or not, you're going to be judged. Even more familiar verses in chapter 3, verse 10, right? So there's none that do with righteousness. No, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. There all gone out of the way. They have all together become unprofitable. So that we can say, in the very familiar words, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, God, I'm not living for you. Here's what you were. And then chapters 3 through 5 wonderfully say, here's what God did. Grace changes everything. Because, well, here's what we were, rejecting him, living in sin, not desiring him. Here's what God did. Chapter 3, verse 24, points to his grace in this when it says, We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That verse alone, we could spend a message just unpacking to realize we are declared right. That's the idea uh, of justified. We are declared right before God, and that is accomplished uh, completely by faith. Nothing we do because Jesus paid the price. Jesus was the one who enabled redemption. Go, here's what God did. God said, you can be right with me, just believe on Jesus, because he's already paid it all, as we heard about in music earlier. That's what God did. That's amazing grace. That's unearned favor because it's only by believing. In fact, chapter 4 makes that point to say this justification being declared right with God is only by faith. Chapter 5 reminds us familiar words, while we were yet sinners, God showed us his love in Christ's death for us. Christ died for us to show God's love. Lord willing, we'll look at this text further down the road, but just marvel again at how Romans 5 ends. To say, well, here's what you were and here's what God did. Understand this, that where sin abounded, 
where there was more and more disobedience and rebellion against God, he didn't go, I'm crushing it, I'm done. He said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I will give you more favor. It will be enough. It is abundant grace. Here's what you were. Here's what God did. Here's what it means in chapter 6 through 11. You're dead to sin, chapter 6 and 7. God doesn't condemn you, chapter 8, right? In fact, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. End of chapter 8. That's grace. So that he will come out and say, here's how you're to live, right? I, I find it instructive to me because of the way I'm wired. Like, I want to know, what do I need to do? Right? I find it very instructive in a book like Romans, where for 11 chapters, it's like, here's what you were and here's what God did. 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 I'm like, I want to know what to do. And he's like, let me just give you 12 to 16. I don't know how it is for you when you read the Bible, but like when I look at just chapter 12, I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I'm really glad it wasn't chapters 1 to 11, here's all that you need to do. Because you get to chapter 12, and it's like, here's command, 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 command. It's like, whoa! But the only way I can live that, that, that way is by God's grace. Going, because of the mercies of God, I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him. It has nothing to do with me. But it is because of his grace, because grace changes everything. Secondly, grace purposes our praise. You turn to the book of Ephesians, you find out that Ephesians begins and ends the same way. Pointing to grace that is needed for the Ephesian believers. And very similar to the book of Romans in Ephesians 1 to 3, it's here's what God has done in salvation through Christ. And then in chapters 4 through 6, here's how you are to live as a result. Here's abundant grace shown to you, chapters 1 through 3. Here's it in action, chapters 4 through 6. In fact, as Paul begins to expound on what God has done through Christ, he doesn't just begin with this opening expression of grace. As he starts the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament, right? 220 words from verse 3 to verse 14, one long sentence. Over and over he's going to say, to the praise of his glory. But particularly in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. God wants us to praise him for his grace. And say, God, what you have shown me, I don't deserve. You have been so kind. You, you give me strength when I'm weak, you enable. So it is to the praise of the glory of his grace. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 7, we realize the riches of his grace forgave our sins. You get to chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, and you find out that this grace saves. In fact, we know the words, familiar words of verse 8, right? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You brought nothing. I brought nothing. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship. It purposes our praise to go, look at my God. Look at my God. He is amazing. 
you get to chapters 4 through 6, and you find out that grace changes the church, beginning of chapter 4. It puts off the old man, puts on the new, end of chapter 4. It imitates God as a follower in chapter 5. It impacts our marriage, end of chapter 5. Our parenting, uh, chapter 6. It overcomes in spiritual battle. Grace gives us a reason to praise. Yes, as we sing, but also in how we live. Third, grace not only changes everything and purposes our praise, but third, grace opposes self-righteousness. Those times where we just, we're working away on the computer, but the power's gone, the internet's not there. Oh man, we're working at it. It's like when we go through the Christian life, and it's like, well, you know what? I better be careful what I say. And I gotta respect my husband. I gotta love my wife without going, God, I need your help because my flesh is too far gone. God, I need your grace to enable because I feel weak. And when we come to the book of Galatians, Paul introduces and concludes the letter with grace, God's favor on you. And I laugh at that because we don't get very far into the book where it's very clear that while these bookends of grace are on either side of the book, he's got something to say to them. Like right off the gate, chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed to another gospel. He's in essence saying, I'm shocked that you've gotten the gospel wrong. They have left a gospel of grace through Jesus Christ to move back to trying to find favor with God through their own works by keeping the law. And Paul says, I'm shocked. I marvel. But he begins and ends by saying, grace, grace to you. Grace fights against a human propensity for self-righteousness. We face this insidious battle with pride to think, you know what, I can do this. I'm a pretty good person. I, I do these things. And we start to look at ourselves more than look at our Savior. To start to think, we actually have something to offer when we don't. Again, the message of Galatians is clear. Grace opposes self-righteousness. He says there, chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, we learned that already in Romans this morning. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be uh, justified by the faith of Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So it's not what I do. It's what Jesus has done for me. This may be familiar to many of you, but I think of the words in Galatians chapter 3 where Paul questions them, right? This is the Apostle Paul. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to let you guys teach me for a minute, Paul's saying. He says, this only what I learn of you. I got a question, guys. Just answer me this one. Received ye the Spirit of the work, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says, so how did you get the Holy Spirit? Was it by keeping the law or by believing on Jesus? It's a pretty simple answer, right? They received the Holy Spirit of God by believing on Jesus Christ. And then he says, are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Like you, you started out on the right tracks, so why did you shift? Grace opposes 
self-righteousness. In fact, grace sets us free from the law. He's going to tell them later in chapter 5, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Like, don't go back to that law. And you're like, oh, that's not good. Like, well, if we do that, we, we might go down some bad roads. He's like, no, only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh. Don't use your freedom from the law to go be selfish. Right? It says in Galatians 5.13, but by love serve one another. And you know, when that grace works in me, when God's Spirit works in me, it produces fruit. We know that, Galatians 5, 22 to 24. Grace opposes self-righteousness. It reminds me that I have nothing good to offer apart from grace. In the reality of life, grace changes everything. It purposes our praise. It opposes self-righteousness. Fourth, grace walks in Christ. If it's not going to be, here's all the things that I am going to do, rather it's got to be Christ in me. In fact, Galatians makes that point. We didn't read it, but if you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he makes that point very clearly there. Having heard of the Colossians' faith in Christ, Paul expresses his, grace for, uh, his desire for God's grace to be on them. Again, chapter 1, verse 2. Paul prays that they would walk worthy of that grace in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He tells them, as part of that, like, just if we stay in Colossians to go, what does God's favor look like to them? This is just a sample. It is not comprehensive. You're partakers of his inheritance, chapter 1, verse 12. You're delivered from the power of darkness. Like, you've got a different master, a different hope. You belong to a different kingdom, chapter 1, verse 13. You're redeemed and forgiven, chapter 1, verse 14. You used to be God's enemy, but now you're reconciled to him, chapter 1, verse 21. They are now holy, unblameable, unreprovable, chapter 1, verse 22. You start to think about it and go, okay, if you know Christ as Savior this morning, how has God shown you favor? He said, I've given you an inheritance. Your future is secure. It belongs to me. You've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. You've been redeemed, forgiven. You used to be an enemy, but now you're reconciled. You're unblameable now. And like most of us walk through going, you know what, actually I feel pretty blameworthy today. <laughs> but God says, no, you're holy. Not because of you, but because of what I've done for you. And so he makes this argument in chapter 2. Very familiar verse, right? Chapter 2, verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And he makes a contention to say, don't go back to man's ways of thinking about this. Don't be spoiled by philosophy or vain deceit. Don't go back to the law. We know that people have disagreements about those things. He's like, don't go back to any of that. Why? He tells them in chapter 2, verse 10, you're complete in Christ. You have what you need in Jesus. God said, you're perfect in Christ. So live in light of him. You're not going to do it perfectly, but walk in Jesus Christ. Seek those things that are above. Put these things off. Put these things on. Like Be joined together in one man, in one person because of Christ. Walk in him. That is God's grace upon us. He's made us complete in Christ. Fifth, grace rejoices in every circumstance. Again, we're kind of getting a 50,000-foot view flying through 
book after book after book here, right? But realize again, grace changes everything for you. Grace purposes your praise. It drives what we do this morning. Grace opposes me trying to work it up on my own and fights my self-righteousness. Grace tells me, walk in Christ. And then you get to a book like Philippians and we're told, actually grace enables you to rejoice in every circumstance. Like you start to think about that and like rejoice in every circumstance. Like I can't do that. Like you, you know how bad my week's been? It's like you already missed it. It didn't say you rejoice in every circumstance, like, although that is a command in the book. We're talking about the idea that grace drives this. When I see God's favor on me, it's what drives it. So Paul opens his letter in Philippians with gratitude and joyful prayer for these believers. He says, we have wonderful fellowship through the gospel. So that while Paul is imprisoned, he's like, even though I'm in prison, you've joined with me as partakers of his grace in my life. Paul's like, in the midst of my difficult circumstances, you have partnered with me in grace, God's grace working in me. That's why he says, chapter 1, verse 7, you're all partakers of my grace. While Paul's circumstances are difficult, he could complain. Uh, he's got people causing him problems. Paul says, I'm able to rejoice that the gospel's preached even though his circumstances are not ideal. That joy only comes when we have the mind of Christ that serves in humility, chapter 2. It's reflected in the examples of others, end of chapter 2. Then it's issued in commands in chapter 3 and chapter 4, right? Because we get that infamous chapter 3, like we're halfway through the book, and he goes, finally, and we still have a good ways to go. But he says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. Again, when we think of the Lord, it points us back to God's grace. How do I have joy when things are hard? Well, it's not the circumstance itself that produces joy, but it's what God has done for me in Christ. Which is why we can come to chapter 4, verse 4, more familiar words, and say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we kind of, like, in our minds, because we're so practically driven, like, well, I gotta do, I, I got a responsibility. We hear the word rejoice, we hear always, and we hear rejoice. And we miss that phrase, in the Lord. Like, in the relationship I have with God, in the grace that he has shown me through Jesus Christ, that's how I rejoice in every circumstance. Joy is possible because grace is available. We can say it this way, grace is abundant. Paul's like, look, I know what it's like to be abased. I know what it's like to be abound, uh, to abound. But then he says those familiar words, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, through what God has given me in him. In the realities of life, grace changes everything. It purposes our praise. It opposes self-righteousness. It walks in Christ. It rejoices in every circumstance. And finally for this morning, grace forgives personal wrongs. Grace forgives personal wrongs. You find Paul writing to Philemon, this very short letter. We have to kind of remind ourselves of the context of what's taking place. But Paul writes to Philemon regarding Onesimus. Onesimus is this servant who had wrongly abandoned and left Philemon, causing problems for him and his household. Uh, Onesimus is clearly the one that's in the wrong. But since the time that Onesimus has left, he met Paul while Paul was imprisoned. And during that time, God worked so that Onesimus became a Christian 
a son in the faith to Paul. You see that particularly in verse 10. Like, he's a son in the faith. Even though he's left, even though this has been wrong, God has worked. And so because of that transformation that takes place in Onesimus coming to Christ, verse 11 of Philemon, Paul notes that he is now profitable to Paul in ministry. But Paul with integrity says, you know what? Rather than continuing to have Onesimus here, I'm sending Onesimus back to Philemon to make things right. That's chapter 1, verse 12. Like Just those three verses in the middle, it's like, whoa, a lot just took place. Onesimus left, he gets saved, He's ministering with Paul, and Paul says, now I'm sending him back to deal with the wrong to make it right. Read you a lengthier section of verses here. Philemon, Paul says to Philemon in chapter 1, verse 15, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved specially to me but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Paul says, look, God has changed this man. And because of what God has done in this man's life, his relationship to you is now different. He's not just this servant as he was, but now he's a brother, and I'm admonishing you, receive him as such. And Paul's even willing to say in the verses that follow, if anything's owed, I'll take care of it. Because he wants to see this wrong set right in light of the work that God has done. So again, like, just as a concept, I ask you to think, why does Paul start this letter going, grace to you, Philemon, and come back at the end of this letter and say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's going to need God's grace on him. I would say very simply in summary of the book, certainly not comprehensively, that God's grace enables us to forgive personal wrongs. All we'd have to do is go to Jesus' own words in the parable of Matthew 18 to be reminded that when we're forgiven, we need to be able to forgive others. God has showed us incredible favor. Our simple time together, a very limited attempt, doesn't even begin to do it justice. But I want to remind you, I hope the Spirit of God through His Word would work in you to cause you to be amazed by God's grace again. To go, God, I don't deserve a relationship with you. I live for me. But you've shown me grace through Christ. And now I have this relationship where you're my father. Jesus is my Savior and my Master. He gets to dictate how I live. And when I go to these letters and I see all this information that tells me what I ought to think and how I ought to live, I realize that grace impacts every situation in life, every reality of life. It changes everything, including me. It purposes my praise. It opposes self-righteousness. It walks in Christ. It rejoices in every circumstance. And it forgives personal wrongs. Let's pray. Father, we come before you recognizing that you have shown us favor that we are absolutely unworthy of. God, I pray that through your word and by your spirit, you would combat pride in our midst. That Lord, even in our 
frailty in our humanity or forgetfulness that you would, by your spirit and your word, remind us, awake us again to what you have done for us so amazingly in your grace. And Lord, I pray that as those things are true, we would see the abundance of your grace and not just praise you with our mouths, but seek to live for you with changed lives. God, again, thank you for Jesus Christ, the grace you've shown to us through him. Amen.